As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and a brand new series we're calling The Big Thing. This new show is an opportunity for us to dig deeper into and debate some of the biggest stories in the beautiful game that warrant a bit more discussion. On this first episode, we're talking about Chelsea FC. On TSS, we covered Roman Abramovich's unceremonious uncoupling with Chelsea earlier this year, but we've yet to get our teeth into the details and give more information on the new co-owner and chairman, Todd Bowley. Who is Mr. Bowley? How deeply is he involved in the soccer operations of the Blues? What are his other interests? And what does the future at Stamford Bridge look like during his tenure? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to keep the blue flag flying high today, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I wonder if many years from now, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin's greatest contribution to society will have been (laughs) conscious uncoupling. Because that is well phrased, Ryan. Well phrased. Thank you very much. I can't imagine any other artistic body works that either of those two might have contributed at this point, Taylor. But yes, uh, good point there. Uh, Joining us also, Joe Lowry coming from Minnesota. Hello, Joe. Oh, yeah. Hello, Ryan. Oh, you did the accent. Yay. I'm doing a little (laughs) clap in front of my face. Yay. Thank you for that, Joe. That was a pleasure. You're welcome. um, How was MLS All-Star, which was several days ago? Yes, it definitely was, as we're recording. It was several days ago. And and as we all predicted earlier in the week, that team did win. One of the teams did win. MLS won. It was a good time. I was close enough to Don Garber to actually execute that, that microphone net plan that we talked about in listener questions earlier this week. I didn't come through with it. There was a little bit too large of an entourage for that to actually happen. But I, I was close, and I feel like now I can build on that momentum for next year's All-Star game and start slipping the mic into his pocket. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for your efforts, Joe. I was disappointed. I didn't actually realize the goals had gone in in that game because I couldn't hear the net. So um, maybe <laughs> next time um, we'll, 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 uh, we'll have some progress there. Graham Ruthven also joining us. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan. I also did the accent. It's kind of non-negotiable with, with me at this point. Is that your version of Minnesota? No, just my accent, just Scottish accent. Well, to be fair, Graham, we all have an accent, except for me, of course. This is standard English, how it's supposed to sound. Of course, the Queen's English. Exactly. The the English that everyone favours. 
<laughs> Indeed, every news broadcaster in the United Kingdom has this accent, Graham. Don't you know? <laughs> Let's move on and talk a little bit about our big thing. Our big thing this week being Chelsea FC and their new ownership. Um, we know, of course, uh, the Russian oligarch Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea from Mr. Ken Bates in 2003. Ken Bates, by the way, he got £18 million in that transaction and he did pass on around £80 million in debt. Those numbers sounding quite cute by today's standards, I would say. Uh, and I will say from the outset, I know there um, there are some other podcasts out there, one of which is coming up um, from a friend of mine. It's called The Blueprint and it's a Chelsea-specific podcast um, which is going to speak to Ken Bates and everyone involved in the club in the 90s and the early 2000s for that Ooh. transition of power from Bates to Abramovich. Uh, some lots of very interesting facts coming out in that one. That's not necessarily what we're covering today, Graham, but perhaps a little uh, explainer to get to where we got from Abramovich to Mr. Bowley to start things off. Mm -hmm, of course. So Roman Abramovich owned Chelsea from 2003. And as we all know, he invested a lot of a lot of money in Chelsea and his takeover really marked the start of a new era of foreign billionaire owners in, in the Premier League. There had been rich owners before then, but he, he was he was the, the first of a new era of, of owners who basically didn't really see Premier League clubs as a as a business, although there was that element to it, but he obviously had a, a reputation that essentially he wanted to to wash and he wanted to um, gain some legitimacy in the Western world and distance himself a little bit from the Kremlin, which ironically was the thing that was his downfall as Chelsea owner. But Chelsea were very successful under Roman Abramovich. They, they won titles under Jose Mourinho, Carlo Ancelotti, Antonio Conte. They won the Champions League twice as well, of course. But in February of this year, the, the British government sanctioned Roman Abramovich after Russia's invasion of Ukraine due to his closeness with uh, Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin in general. And they froze Abramovich's assets in the UK, of which Chelsea was one. And that basically mean, meant that Chelsea couldn't really do anything. They, they, they had to rely on the money they already had on the bank. No more money could come into the club. That was obviously a concern in the long-term running of the club. There was, a, a, there was concern about just Chelsea's liquidity, whether they would be able to survive beyond the summer if there wasn't a, a takeover. Of course, that uh, Abramovich then announced his intention to sell the club in, in March of this year and a bidding process followed. The The rain group was appointed by Chelsea as the as the American bank that would handle the the sale and Bowley's bid was, was announced fairly early on and it, we should mention that Bowley isn't the only one involved in, in the bid or now the, the ownership structure at Chelsea. There are a number of other parties as well, including a, a private investment firm called Clearwater Capital. And uh, some other bids came in from Jim Ratcliffe, who is the, the richest man in Britain. Uh, funnily enough, is a Manchester United fan. I don't know if maybe Manchester United fans have, have sent him a DM recently. Maybe should slide into Jim Ratcliffe's <laughs> DMs at some point in the near future. But he made a very public bid for Chelsea. His bid was actually quite late on. There are questions over why it was so late, and I think that was one of the main reasons it was dismissed. The, the Ricketts family, who owned the Chicago Cubs, they were also interested, but... The rain, the rain group put forward Bowley and his consortium as the preferred buyer at the end of the process. And by the end of last season, it was clear that Bowley was going to be the new Chelsea owner. And that process was completed fairly early on in the summer. And now, Graham, I don't know how much information you have on Clearwater Capital, I think you said they were called, but it does sound like they sell weapons. Did they sell weapons? <laughs> um, they're one of those companies that ha seem to have stakes in everything. So maybe, I don't want the TSS 
fire truck of lawyers to be on my case anytime soon but they're yeah they're a private investment fund and my understanding of that definition is they just own lots of stuff which now includes around 50 percent in chelsea football club yeah taylor um just to go back to that sort of sort of may till and and uh, you know april or june even that period where remembranovich was uncoupling with chelsea it was a wild time wasn't it it was because it, it first of all felt like it wasn't a thing that was actually going to happen. I think so often with giant football clubs, global football brands, you don't get that much change. You're not going to get that much upheaval unless you have a new owner coming in a la Newcastle. Short of that, I guess my mind is always that it's going to be really difficult to get owners out or to leave or to abandon projects, especially projects that they've put so much money into. Um, it, and then I it was a surprise to me that the British government held firm and sort of forced this issue that Abramovich was willing to walk away. Uh, but then it did seem like we were in this strange state of flux where Chelsea were going to be in the Champions League, going to be spending money, but maybe not going to be spending money. We didn't know who was going to be running things on the day-to-day. We didn't know who would be left if Abramovich walked away. And then when he walked away, even then, there was uh, a bit of... Uh, sort of murkiness as to who took charge. And eventually we had clarity in the form of Todd, who is now the, the chairman of Chelsea. Indeed. Joseph Lowry, let's dig in to Mr. Bowley. What do we know exactly about him? Um, looking at it, he knows he owns several stakes in other teams. He owns DraftKings as well. He's also, Joe, the interim CEO of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the uh, organization that conducts the Golden Globe. So next time Chelsea have an award ceremony, I'm assuming Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are going to be doing the presentation there. Uh, we also know, Joe, he models his look on Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Almost Famous, which might be a reference <laughs> to go slightly over your head, Joe. But uh, what, what do we know about him? I was going to say, Ryan, that reference should have been a lead-in for Taylor, not me. Either way, I'll, I'll lay out some facts and things we know about Todd Bowley. He's a 48-year-old American businessman. So he went to school in Virginia, uh, in, in Maryland, and then Virginia and Mary, um, and then as, a, as an investment banker and then at a venture capital firm. So he worked at a couple of those places. He's worth $4.5 billion, according to Forbes, and that's as of this year. So it, I would imagine it's a relatively accurate feature. Um <laughs> So in, in terms of things that he owns, Ryan, you mentioned a few of those already. So there's some sports things and there's some non-sports things. He owns DraftKings, as you said. He owns uh, part of an esports company called Cloud9. He's a minority owner in the Lakers and the Sparks over in L.A. So that's the NBA and the WNBA teams in Los Angeles. And he's a part owner of the L.A. Dodgers through his membership in Guggenheim Baseball Management. So... He's doing a lot of stuff, and that, that's not an exhaustive list. It's not surprising to see someone like Todd Bowley, who's worth $4.5 billion, doing all of those different things. The one, the one thing out of all of those that I think is the most interesting and has the closest tie to Chelsea, I mean, you'd think the Lakers maybe overall, but I don't think Bowley owns enough of that to truly have a major impact on the direction of that franchise – it's the Dodgers for me, being a part owner of the LA Dodgers and having some real impact on the Dodgers over the years. He's made moves. Back in 2014, uh, Bullies Dodgers hired Andrew Friedman from the Tampa Bay Rays, and Friedman helped the Rays win the World Series in 2008 despite a, a pretty low payroll. And the Dodgers went in and found him and said, hey, you're going to be uh, a really important figure in our front office. And they basically just made him the highest paid person in his position in baseball. And, and the Dodgers went on to build up a, a massive analytics department, recruitment, de- development. All of those things were, were really well done by the Dodgers and still are, frustratingly. So I say as an Arizona sports fan, it's, it's difficult to take. But, I mean, that's, that's who the Dodgers are in Major League Baseball. Chelsea are, are not the Dodgers in terms of their status in global soccer or even English soccer, I would wager – 
but they do have the potential to get there. And, and that's the thing that I think is interesting about this new era. And, and you even see a contrast within how Todd Bowley has run things now and certainly how Roman Abramovich has run things, and even how Todd Bowley is running things at Chelsea versus how Todd Bowley and company have been running things at the Dodgers. I think this whole thing about Todd Bowley basically coming in and doing another person's job, becoming an important figure in terms of recruitment and negotiation and identifying all of those things that Todd Bowley has taken up at Chelsea, holding a dinner and inviting executives from 19 other Premier League clubs to talk shop about not just business stuff, but player stuff as well. I mean, that all is is fascinating to me because it feels like a departure, at least in some ways, from what we've yeah. seen from him in L.A. And, and I certainly have questions about how good of an idea and, and how well Bowley's initial months at Chelsea have gone. I, th- I think Chelsea fans were quite apprehensive about Todd Bowley when they first heard, heard he was going to be their new owner because I, I think it's fair to say that American billionaire businessmen don't have the best reputation as Premier League owners. Right. I'm, I'm obviously primarily talking about the Glazers at Manchester United and the Cronkies at Arsenal. And if I had to boil down why they have had trouble with their own fans at those clubs, clubs, I think it's because fans suspect they see soccer as as, as a bit of an afterthought. Both the the Glazers and the Cronkies own American sports teams uh, like Todd Bowley does. I know he's a part owner of the the Dodgers and, and the Lakers and Sparks, but he's very much involved in that world. And for the Glazers and the Cronkies, that those teams very much feel like their primary focus and they rarely go to Arsenal and United games. And, and Chelsea fans, after Abramovich, didn't want an owner who operated in the same way. But from everything you read about Bowley, both in the business world and in the sporting world, and I've read quite a few profiles of him at this point, it, it feels like he is going to be quite a, a hands-on owner for Chelsea. We've obviously seen that in the early days. He's been very present at Chelsea, very hands-on, and, and he's got a long history of, of talking about soccer and, and talking about how seriously he takes soccer. I don't know if that translates into a love for the game necessarily, however you define that, but it very much do- it doesn't feel like he's going to see Chelsea as an afterthought. In fact, at the moment, it's very much his, his, his primary uh, yeah. concern. He tried to buy Chelsea in 2019. That bid was rejected by Abramovich, so his, his interest in buying the club was a long-standing one. He has voiced frustration in, in, in interviews about how, how some in American sports don't still don't take soccer seriously. And um, there's an interesting quote about why he buys big sports teams. And, and he says, because it's intellectually stimulating. There are no guarantees. So obviously, some of this may be PR puff. I think we will learn more about Todd Bowley as an owner and a person over the next few years. But the, the signs are that Chelsea have got hands-on man- eh, hands-on manager, hands-on owner, who is going to be very much involved in the day-to-day running of that club. Which, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Right, I think there is yeah. very clearly a line. You you want people like that to be involved and engaged. And I think in some ways, Roman Abramovich was that, even though he spent three years away from Stamford Bridge and couldn't go to games because of visa stuff and all that jazz. I mean, he was still involved in, in talking with people at the club. And from everything I've read, he was an active participant in certain ways. Todd Bowley's come in and, and kind of taken that to another level. I don't I don't think that he's done the name of American owners in the Premier League a lot of favors by by coming over to the Premier League and coming over to Chelsea and having one of his first things, one of the first big stories about him, be about wanting to trade Romelu Lukaku to Inter Milan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is it is leaning fully into the American stereotype. And, and maybe Todd Bowley is going to be a good owner. I, I don't know. And I don't know that I, I know enough about him or that we've seen enough about him 
to have a hard and fast conclusion about you know this new era at Chelsea. But coming in and having that be the the first or one of the first big stories about you going and trying to negotiate American sports style trades for for players is is strange to me. It's a little bit strange naming yourself as interim sporting director after multiple names leave the Chelsea front office and the business side as well. It's it's weird. It's really weird to me. And so maybe this all turns out well and maybe, you know, they're gearing up to find a really quality sporting director, but having your American businessman come in and become a soccer soccer decision maker is a weird look. I'll I'll jump in to say a, a couple of things off of what Graham and Joe have said, uh, and I will own that from everything I've read, I come to the conclusion that I think he will be a good owner for Chelsea. I think he'll be a good steward for the club in this transition phase, but then I think after that as well. And I think some of the criticism, some of the concerns are valid, but I also think they show you more about what he's about at the same time. Because Graham's absolutely right. The Glazers coming in, I think it's fair to say they see the the branding and the money that branding can make as being more important than maybe on-field results. And Todd Bowley has expressed similar sentiments, sort of, when it comes to Chelsea, emphasizing that he doesn't feel like there's been enough done to build them as a brand, to make them this global brand, and to really capitalize upon their popularity, especially in the United States. And you can hear that as, oh, he just you know wants to make a brand. Oh, no, here's another American who just wants to sell merch. But I see it as a viable way to stay financially stable in the modern era of being a global brand where you're going to get a ton of money for jersey sales and sponsorships and corporate agreements and that type of thing. And that allows you to have more money in the long run than relying on a wealthy benefactor to sort of make up the difference, especially with financial fair play getting a little bit more grit to it. I think that's a thing that you kind of have to be mindful of. So I think he brings a different perspective, or if not a different perspective, then a sort of, yeah, American branding perspective. But at the same time, I think that's maybe not the worst thing when you want to build out the amount of money you have coming in. And to Joe's point, I think the American thing gets tagged on him a little bit. And Americans have not done themselves uh, favors in that regard, being owners and being operators in the Premier League and in England. But I look at something like that attempt to trade Lukaku. And I, I get why that gets talked about and why that's such a like, oh my gosh, he thinks you can trade. But at the same time, we get that question all the time. Why don't trades happen more? Yeah. And the answer is uh, freedom of movement and player contracts and other issues along the way. But ultimately, it is a thing that makes sense. And if you're the new owner of Chelsea coming in, and here's this player that you've just signed for an insane amount of money who now wants to leave, it doesn't look great. Even if it's not your fault, even if it has nothing to do with you, Lukaku, wanting to leave, it still is this massive name who's trying to walk away from the club right as you acquire them. And I still think the the deal they ended up striking, like, what, six million pounds loan fee, whatever, it doesn't really do it justice. Whereas if they had been able to do a a big swap deal and got in a defender or player they really, truly needed, I think right away you hit the ground running. The concern, forgive me for going very long, is that from what I've understood, Todd Bowley was heavily involved in that, if not leading the negotiations. And that's where it becomes, you're trying to do this sort of swap deal that a lot of people don't necessarily go for in the football world. You're also heavily involved when maybe you don't quite know all the ins and outs of the business yourself. And that's where I think there's a little bit of head scratching. I understand based on his past business experience that that's the way he chooses to operate. But I I see the positives and the negatives and everything he's done so far. Uh, But I have talked plenty at this point. Yeah, (laughs) I I found the trade story very interesting because my initial reaction is to laugh at it. But then also if there are players that Chelsea wanted to enter Mm -hmm. and enter wanted Lukaku... 
you kind of think, well, well, why not? The mechanism is there to trade players in soccer. You can do it. It's just not very, very common. So I do have some sympathy for him, and he probably is. He's probably painting himself as someone who's who's thinking a little bit differently and maybe that's a reflection of that one of the things just going back to his portfolio as a sports team owner one of the things I found very interesting about Bowley was a lot of owners will look at clubs with upside as all I guess all investors would but they'll, they'll go to a, a lower level and they'll think about building a club up. So you think of the the, the Saudi Arabian bat consortium that, that bought Newcastle. They, they saw a club that has potential for growth. But but Bowley has spoken about how he often goes in at the top level. So if you look at his portfolio, and I know he's not the full owner of, of um, the American sports teams he owns. But is there anyone in the business world that has a more impressive portfolio of teams than Todd Bowley. He, he owns a big chunk of the Dodgers, a big chunk, chunk of the Lakers, and now owns a big chunk of Chelsea Football Club. That's pretty impressive. And there's an interesting quote from him about how he believes that the the bigger clubs, the more successful teams in sports, are, are generally of better value, he says. And he thinks that's where actually the money can be made. So he's gone into Chelsea. And even though we talk about... Um, Premier League football maybe reaching its ceiling. He still believes there's a lot of money to be made, a lot of money left on the table from foreign broadcast deals. He thinks there's a lot of inflation to be had there. The other thing I'm expecting him to make a big change at Chelsea is regarding the stadium. And he's spoken mm-hmm. a lot about the the match, the experience. And it's, it's true, when you look at the Emirates and Spurs' new stadium and who else, the Etihad and I guess the London Stadium, West Ham Stadium, Stamford Bridge is, is lagging a long way behind. And I saw today, just before we started recording, that Todd, uh, Todd Bowley has put forward proposals for this the redevelopment of Stamford Bridge. So even though Chelsea are one of the biggest brands in football and European football, Todd Bowley feels there's there's still a lot of value to be had in them. And that is, um, that, that's a trend for him as an owner when you look at the Dodgers and, and the Lakers as well. Graham, you've tapped into something there as to the why Todd Bowley has invested in Chelsea, which I want to delve deeper into right after we've taken this break. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show. Welcome back to the big thing. Todd Bowley special. Um, Graham, before the break, you mentioned um, other American owners in the league, your Glazers and, and your Cronkies, and mentioned how Bowley is at least being perceived as something different, quite hands-on, mm. interim sporting director. There's part of me wonders if there's some PR fluff to that. In itself, he's he's a smart man, and he's seen how other American owners have been perceived. I wonder if there's a little bit of being shown to be hands on. Certainly, at this stage, gives him a different perception in front of the Premier League fan, and that leads me to his intentions, Graham. 
because we've mentioned how, uh, or I think Joe said that he finds it intellectually stimulating to buy into sports teams, which is wonderful. But ultimately, he's a businessman and he's there to make money, to spread his power, to increase his influence. And when you mentioned, Graham, about the potential he sees in the club in the future, I'm quite cynical when I think of this, but I think of him having seen the Super League last year. And yeah. it's an idea that still looms. And actually, I was reading a piece this morning that Barney Rene put in The Guardian, a really good piece about the first 30 years of the Premier League. I'll read a bit of it, actually. He said, football is basically just moving shapes on a screen now, a digital product, a dopamine hit across the internet, there to be consumed as part of wider fandom. Why should, why should this thing be, thing be tied to a place or tradition or to rules that stifle profit? So he, the suggestion there is that the game has changed so much in the last 30 years of the Premier League that it's become this homogenized product, that fans and physical ties to communities are becoming less important, and that this Super League idea, it kind of seems inevitable. It might be approached in a different way with much better PR campaign this time around, Graham. But I suppose what I'm saying is it looks like it's fairly innocuous, this Bowley reign so far. But am I being seen, of course, to suggest he's come in here to make big dime from something like a Super League? I, th- I think those suggestions are fair. I'm not. I, I can't really speak to whether the Super League is is in his plans. But as I say, it, it feels like he sees a lot of value in Chelsea as a global brand. Obviously, they are a, glo- a global brand to a certain extent. But he's seeing Chelsea as based in London with a lot a lot of history. They're in the Premier League and the Champions League. They've got world class players. And as I say, foreign TV rights seems to be something he's going to have a big focus on. I think Todd Bowley and Joe kind of referenced this. I think. Um, Todd Bowley is going to become a bit of a leader in the Premier League, I think. He's had meetings with other Premier League owners and executives when um, the Premier League had their pre-season meeting. So they have a, a meeting before the start of every season and they send rep- each club sends representatives. Todd Bowley and Edge Bally, who's kind of been his, his right-hand man since taking over at Chelsea, they were the, the two representatives from Chelsea. And I, I read a report that basically said Todd Bowley was, was leading a lot of the discussion and a lot of the different ideas. I might be joining dots here. Maybe this is slightly unfair on, on Bowley because I haven't seen anything to suggest this, but it would not surprise me given, as I say, he's very much focused on the global brand of Chelsea. It would not be surprising if he is the one that maybe revives the 39th game proposal. You'll remember from a few years ago, which was voted down by Premier League clubs. The idea being that Premier League clubs would play a, a single competitive round of fixtures in, in a foreign country. We've seen La Liga try to do that in, in Miami with Real Madrid and Barcelona. That hasn't happened yet. Todd Bowley is very much focused on, on as I say, Chelsea, the global brand. So I think you're right to be cynical. A lot of what we've seen, I am I am reluctant to put much stock in it because I imagine that when the Glazers took over Manchester United, there was a lot of talk about how successful they had been in the, in the NFL with the, the Buccaneers and how they were how they were so rich and how they were going to speak to Manchester United's global image. And really, yes, they have used that global image, but not to build the best team on the pitch possible. So I think a, I think a degree of scepticism is, is, is healthy about Bowley at, at this stage of his ownership. Yeah. Taylor, do you think I'm being too sceptical about this one? I just, I just thinking reading that piece this morning about the last 30 years of professional soccer at the top level mm-hmm. and what the next 30 could look like, and Rone's idea that it might not be tied to a physical place anymore, and this, this idea of Chelsea becoming more of an idea, becoming more of a brand, and something that could be moved around, and something that Bowley has clearly seen an opportunity here yeah. that could be, you know, evolving over the next decade or so. I don't. I wouldn't say you're being too cynical. I think there's a healthy skepticism there, uh, brought on by past ownership groups, not just Americans, but I think any foreign ownership groups coming in who don't 
sort of understand what they're buying into, uh, don't understand the culture of the club, the atmosphere of the club, the traditions. I think you have to have an idea of that and an, an ability to kind of incorporate that into your way of thinking. And I think many ownership groups have not. And that does spark that concern. I would add, though, that Todd, Todd Bowley thus far to me has been, I think, pretty transparent in what he's trying to do, as transparent as a, a, a billionaire owner is going to be. But I think has has been not necessarily involved with the fans. I don't think he's been like jumping into chants and stuff like that. But I think he has done a, a decent amount of outreach to kind of improve relations because I think there's an element or an awareness there that you can't be that global brand if there's not sort of – if you're not happy at home, I don't think you can sell happiness abroad basically. So mm. I think he – I would guess that he will be less likely to jump into the Super League at least right away because I think he wants to establish himself as a popular owner to then have a little bit more control mm-hmm. to establish, hey, look, see, I know what I'm doing. Things are going well. We're making signings. We're winning games. Trust me when I then make this decision or take us in this new direction. I think what it seems like from his business background is that he's a person who – I feel like I'm just praising Todd Bowley. I promise I'm not on his payroll. He strikes me as a person who is going to press a person as to why something is done the way it's done. And if there are logical answers that explain it, that seems to be a thing that maybe he doesn't accept right away, but will like tweak or roll with. But I think if it's, well, that's what tradition dictates. And I think looking at the, the trade, again, for Lukaku, the investigating trade options, that feels like a thing where he would have been told, like, well, that's just kind of not really how it's done. Like there's like uh, amortization and there's contract rules. And he was just like, yeah, okay, well, let me look into this a little bit more. And I think that is what he will bring. And that is probably what will shake things up a little bit. I agree with Graham. I think he will be a leading voice because yeah. I think he's going to ask questions and and kind of push on why are we doing it this way? Why, why aren't we doing it that way? Why do we have the TV rights the way they are? I think there'll be moves in that regard as he establishes himself within the club and then maybe uh, more from there. Yeah, Ch- Chelsea, were, Chelsea were never going to find another Roman Abramovich because the, the parameters for Abramovich were, were different to most owners in the Premier League. Well, he, he didn't Chelsea, buy it to make money, did he, Graham? That's the whole point. Most, most, yeah, most exactly. owners are in it for the money where he wasn't. Exactly. And, and I think he, he ran up debt of something like £1.5 billion at Chelsea, which was obviously a large amount of that went on player transfers and everything. And, and basically, obviously, there were, there were other circumstances that meant maybe Abramovich couldn't call that loan in. But at the end of, the, of his ownership, he basically said, ah, don't worry about it. And that kind of tells you a little bit of, about why he wanted to own Chelsea. And Chelsea have dropped out of that group that includes City and Newcastle and PSG. So it's, it's unsurprising to me that Todd Bowley would look to run Chelsea in a different way. And I've seen many comparisons with uh, Fenway Sports Group and how yep. they run Liverpool with data at the, at the heart of their approach. And if you look at the, the, the Dodgers, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a baseball fan, I know next nothing about baseball, but I've done a little bit of research about Bowley, who is a part owner of the Dodgers. He's, he's a little bit more in the background than the Dodgers, but they, as Joe referenced at the top of the show, they hired a, a new general manager who took a, a more data-driven approach. And, and this is maybe the most encouraging bit for Chelsea fans is the Dodgers, as far as I can tell, have been very successful with Bowley as one of their, their co-owners. They've won eight division titles, three national leagues, a World Series in 2020. So he does have success in, in, in sports. And as Taylor referenced, he's, he seems to have a track record of employing experts in certain mm-hmm. fields and then em- em- empowering those people as well. That is kind of in stark contrast to what he's doing now where he's interim sporting director. 
but I would suggest he will at some point bring in someone who's more qualified than him for that position. And Graham, you mentioned analytics there. I think that is is one of the most intriguing parts about all of this. I don't need to rehash the whole Dodgers thing again, but Chelsea have analytics people, but Liverpool has very much become the the staple analytics team of the Premier League. Not that every decision they make is necessarily defined by that, and there are other powerful figures that are involved at the club that, that work outside of that department. But with Ian Graham being there, and they've had some some pretty big names in the soccer analytics space, Chelsea could be that. And, and Todd Bowley strikes me as a kind of guy, I kind of ragged on him for the whole trades thing and, and maybe being a little bit ignorant about why certain things don't happen in soccer because of, of contracts and, and all of that stuff. But, I mean, Todd Bowley strikes me as a guy that's going to try to push the envelope on different things. And that could be, like we're talking about the 39th game, things that don't go over very well in the general public. And it could be things like analytics that also don't tend to go over very well in the general <laughs> public. But not because it's a bad idea, but because people don't understand it and don't like math. Joe, to, to tap into that, <laughs> when I hear data-driven approaches at a club, to me, an alarm, an alarm goes off in my head that says they don't want to spend any money. Because um, it's it's you know it's it's extracting maximum value from the market. Have, so you, have you seen their window so far, Ryan? I know. I'm just. Well, that's my point is: <laughs> are we are we to see windows like this every every summer, every winter, or is this sort of an initial splash of cash, as we've seen with Raheem Sterling, with Mark Cucurella, and so on? It sh- it shouldn't be like this every window. I think if it is, there are some serious questions about what's going on at Chelsea and why they can't keep players for more than a window or, or a season. So Mark Cucurella comes in for $72 million from Brighton. Raheem Sterling comes in for $62 million from Manchester City. Kaladu Koulibaly comes in for $42 million from Napoli. And they spend about $30 million on young players, a couple of 18-year-olds. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money, over $200 million that they spent on incoming transfers. I, I think it's very clear that Todd Bowley is willing to spend. Right, I mean, I think that has become abundantly clear very, very quickly in this whole Chelsea situation this summer. He's willing to go out and spend money on players that are going to improve the squad. And I think you can look at all of those names and say, yeah, they, they do improve the squad. So that's, that's a big step for Chelsea. But it's also true, Ryan, that when you have, and, and this is something I'm curious about, less of something that I know is going to happen. But when you maybe beef up the analytics department, it's not about not spending money. You can go look at Liverpool and they've spent money, right? But it's about targeting players in specific moments of their careers or going through and looking for players of a certain profile. It's about spending efficiently. You think about Liverpool and how they spend, their hallmark has kind of become looking for younger players, yes, but also looking for players that are just entering their prime, right? In their early 20s, 23, 24, maybe even in the middle of their prime. In 25, you think about Luis Diaz. He's come in and he's totally that type of move. They didn't get him in the summer, Right? They didn't get him in the summer from Portugal. They got him in the winter, which is not generally a window where we see nearly as much movement in the global transfer market, certainly in Europe. So it's about doing things differently to give you an advantage and to exercise efficiency with the resources that you have. That is also an advantage over other clubs. So I don't know how far Chelsea will go down that pathway. I think analytics, and I've thought this for a while now, is one of the most under- not, not just under-discussed from the outside, but also underutilized avenues and departments inside soccer teams all over the world. You look at teams in MLS, and, and I, I, not even all of them have a single person who's hired to do analytics. And I'm not even talking about like pulling data from GPS pods after training. I'm talking about that and maybe doing some, some recruitment and some scouting. There are teams in the United States that, that don't have that, and there are teams in Europe that don't have that, not at a Premier League level, 
But there's teams in the Premier League that don't allocate much money or, or resources towards that type of outlay and to try to spend efficiently on players. And we've seen Liverpool have success with it. Todd Bowley, I'm quite confident, won't be blind to that. So I'm curious to see how much of the analytics revolution we see come to Chelsea. There's a book called Best Team Money Can Buy, and it's about the first few years of... Um, I was going to say Todd Bowley, but as I say, he's he's only one of the, the, the a number of owners of the LA Dodgers, and I'm now forgetting the name of the company. What's the company owns owns the Dodgers? Is it Guggenheim? Yeah, Guggenheim yeah. Baseball Management. Yeah. Let's just call them Prestige Worldwide for the <laughs> for the sake of it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's about that that period in the Dodgers history, and I, I read. I obviously didn't read the whole book in the space of a day, but I read a passage of it, and it basically said in the first season of that new ownership group, the they added over four hundred million dollars in salary commitments to to the to the Dodgers, which I don't have the, the uh, any kind of real context because I'm not a baseball fan, but that that seems like a lot, and everything I read in this passage suggested that they made an initial splash, they they made some of the the biggest trades in in MLB history, and they added a lot of big contracts and signed a lot of big players that. Came kind of seems to be what's happening at Chelsea right now that what is interesting about that is the Dodgers struggled to win over the over those first few years and it wasn't until they took a slightly smarter approach and they hired that new GM that, that Joe talked about and they and they started to build from within a little bit that they started to become very successful but there is a track record of Bowley going into a team as one of the co-owners at the Dodgers and spending initially and making a big splash. Yeah, I mean, I first of all, I, I have to assume Todd Bowley has seen Moneyball like at least 10 times. I'm guessing that's one of his favorite movies. And I, I keep thinking about that scene when John Henry tries to get Billy Bean at the very end. Uh, and I won't spoil it. An <laughs> 11-year-old movie at this too. point. Yeah, basically Billy Bean turns him down. But I think with Andrew Friedman and the Dodgers, basically he got his Billy Bean. And then they were able to kind of spend the money the way the Red Sox did. And they end up having a lot of success. And I think that sort of, to me, is indicative of of the approach that Todd Bowley wants to emulate. It's what FSG have done with the Red Sox. It's what they've done with Liverpool. And it's what I think he will bring to Chelsea. And I think, in my opinion, that's how you have to operate at this point. It seems to me like there are two ways, at least in England, that clubs are going to operate at this point. It's either you have the kind of oil-rich state or the the trillionaire ownership group that can that can sort of throw money at a problem and then throw some more money on top of that, or you're going to have a club run like a business. I think the days when you can have a sort of local benefactor who runs the local steel mill and also funds the football club, I don't think you can have that and also still be in the Premier League and the Champions League competing at that top, top level. You have to go with one of the one of those two options, basically, as depressing as it may be. And I don't love the wealthy ownership model. I don't, and that's not just jealousy. I was definitely jealous of Chelsea for a good long while when they were first under Abramovich and all the money they were spending. But I think there's also that leaves a cloud around the club, same way it does around Man City. It's the same reason why we feel awkwardness talking about Newcastle. It's it's the things that go with that. Like b- businessmen, like are vilified justifiably so, but at the same time. I, you know, I, I don't want to get us into like the fire truck of lawyers territory, but like uh, uh, American journalists have never been threatened by uh, Todd Bowley, put it that way. So I think I just think at, at the end of the day, if you want a club to be 
in that top echelon of clubs but not have an oil-rich state behind them, you have to have a solid business plan. You have to have a solid foundation, and you have to be smart about what you're doing. And that, to me, is what they're doing here. They're spending money to build the squad that they want. Everything I've heard is that he has had a ton of conversations with Thomas Tuchel, that Thomas Tuchel is the manager for him. He wants him there. He wants him more involved in in decision-making. He wants him sort of mirroring what uh, Authority Klopp has at Liverpool. Like, there's a lot of Liverpool influence with Chelsea. And in that way, I think he's building a plan for the long term, for long term stability. So you don't have Graham listed all the managers who've won titles with them. That's uh, probably not even half of the ones who have, but they've had many, many managers. It's a volatile situation. When you have a new manager come in, you got to spend more. You got to rebuild. Oh, that manager's gone. Now we got to rebuild again. I don't think that's long term. Uh, stable. And so I think what they're trying to do now does allow them to operate as the kind of super club they've become without having to have the billions and billions of oil money behind them. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's dig more into Chelsea's front office. Uh, Let's look a little bit more at um, Bowley going in on the technical side of things as well. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to The Big Thing, Todd Bowley edition. Um, Graham, 
the decision that Bowley has taken to be quite hands-on with the sporting side of things, with the technical side of things, becoming an interim sporting director, involving himself in the transfers, mm. I'm intrigued by this because it's not something we see very often. To me, it screams of micromanagement, and he seems like a person who likes to be involved at all levels, and that's totally fine, and he can be successful with that. But what, what do we make of that decision? Because, as I say, it's atypical. Yeah, absolutely, and it was it was a it was a red flag right at the start of of him taking over. The fact that he has um, taken over as interim sporting director, replacing Marina. I can never, I've never been able Let's to go pronounce her second. Guy there we go. What you said. I'm just going to call her Marina. She was at Chelsea for about ten years. I never learned how to pronounce that second <laughs> name. That doesn't reflect well on me. But she was she was very. Uh, highly thought of at Chelsea. She was seen as one of the best sporting directors in the Premier League and in Europe. And Ch- Chelsea fans actually had this kind of... Um, uh, there's not many clubs where they, uh, they'll they chant about their sporting director. Maybe Sevilla's one with Monchi, but Chelsea actually have a chant about, uh, about Marina. I can't actually remember how it goes, but I remember last this time last year when Chelsea were making moves. She was very, as I say, she was very highly thought of. So Bowley coming in as the as a sporting director, a red flag for me. Um, in terms of the front office, it feels shorthanded at the moment. So their board right now consists of Behad Bali, who has been his, his, his right-hand man so far. They've been the ones attending Premier League meetings. Uh, Jose E. Feliciano of, of Clear, Light, Clear Light Capital. Mark Walter, who is another American businessman, uh, a Swiss businessman called Hans-Jörg Weiss. Uh, Jonathan Goldstein, who is actually a, a Spurs fan, by the way. Barbara Sharon, a, a, a Chelsea, a, uh, sorry, a, a Chicago-based Chelsea fan, and then Lord Daniel Finkelstein, who is a, a journalist and a Tory peer in, in the House of House of Lords. Lord Daniel Finkelstein. Yes, amazing. You made yes, that up, that, Graham. Don't lie. Come no, on. no. I, I did, well, yeah, I, it feels like a sort of name you would put into uh, like an online Tory peer generator, <laughs> and that's what would come <laughs> out. But I am, I am, I am assured he's a re- real person, and he's on the Chelsea oh. board. Graham, quick question there, because I read about him as well. Were you at all annoyed when you read that he's a journalist? Because to me, it's like, I don't think you can be a billionaire owner of Chelsea and also be a journalist. Like, I, I'm sure Raphael Honigstein is doing well, but I don't know if yeah. he's doing billionaire owning you, Chelsea yeah. well. You cap out yeah. at a certain point. I think you lose your, your journalist title and just become a, a wealthy individual. Yeah, it's not it's not my understanding of, of, of what a journalist is. I, I don't I know if I would class myself a journalist, but at what point do I become a billionaire yeah, right? and Tory Peer and get a, a chunk of Chelsea? Yeah. yeah. Almost as good a name, uh, yeah. by the way, as Sir Chips Keswick at Arsenal. But do continue. Oh, that's true. That is, that is unbeaten, undefeated as the best name in, in Premier League boardrooms, Sir, Ch- Sir Chips. Sir Chips but, um, is a dog name. I just want that on the record. <laughs> or a hamster name. Also that. Oh. Yeah. In terms of Bowley as the sporting director, um, I think we can only judge Chelsea when, Chelsea's window when it's over because we've, we've probably seen that inexperience in the way Chelsea have bounced around from, from deal to deal one minute there targeting one player in one position, then it's another player in another position. And maybe Bowley is working from a plan that will all come together in the end and and we'll say, okay, he's strengthened all the areas of the team that he needed to. But it has been a slightly chaotic summer so far. I think a lot of that is just down to them being fairly shorthanded. Of course, it wasn't just Marina who left. It was it was Petr Cech, who was, who was the, the technical director. Interestingly enough, Thomas Tuchel was speaking yesterday about how much he misses Petr Cech at Chelsea and I think they had a very close relationship. So maybe you don't want your current manager to be talking about how much you, he misses someone who's just been fired by the, by the new regime. But as I say, it's, it's, it's something that 
this is a boring, boring answer, but maybe something we won't be able to make a solid conclusion on for yeah. the next few windows, I think. One, one position you didn't mention in the front office or on the business side of things, certainly, Graham, is um, Tom Glick, who is uh, the brilliant title, President of Business. Oh, yes. President of Business is the best title ever. Um, but he was CEO at Man City. And uh, full disclosure, I personally worked with him for a couple of years um, at Tepper Sports. He lives on your street, doesn't he? He, he certainly like used everyone. to live very nearby, um, but he um, I, I used to um, yeah be on regular meetings with him because um, he helped launch Charlotte FC. I've mentioned them. There we go. Ding, ding, ding for all you bingo card it took holders. longer than normal. To yeah, I know. I'm, I'm nearly 45 minutes in. You're welcome, Joe. Um, but uh, he is an extraordinarily professional man. They've got a very good executive in him, and I'm sure there's uh, lots of other very good um, executives who've come in. But I suppose, Taylor, I suppose... There is a lot of change here, isn't there? As Graham's outlined, a lot of change in the front office. We might have a bedding in period for the club on both sides, on sporting side and on the on the business side. Yeah, which I think is probably why they're so inclined to splash money this window. Because at the very least, if you bring in players into areas of obvious need, and maybe maybe like moving on somebody like Timo Werner for what twenty million euros, something like that. Like I think that also is a player who. Wasn't wholly unpopular, but wasn't the most popular. Uh, Romelu Lukaku obviously wanted out. You let him go. Uh, you let some of the other players leave that already left on a free. But then you re- invest in the squad and you bring in players like Marco Correa, who I think, obviously, Man City were interested. He was Brighton's player of the year. He's an incredibly talented player. He's a young player at that. And I think covers an area of need, makes Chelsea better. And at the end of the window, I think they'll have a team that probably ends up looking better than I expected them to. That seems to have kind of rode the chaos better than I expected them to. And so I, I think even if they aren't as stable, even if they're outside the top four, I still think the signs are there that they're building towards, towards a long-term plan. So I think I would feel pretty optimistic if I were a Chelsea fan compared to where you must have been feeling or what you must have been feeling, I don't know, four or five months ago. I'd, I'd like to know whether the, the, the signings that Chelsea are making this summer are suggestions being put forward by... Bowley himself or whether there is some form of list that has been left behind by the the previous recruitment staff although I have to you, you'd assume a lot of the recruitment staff has actually stayed in mm-hmm. place but you look at the fact that they went for Jules Koundé who I know they ended up missing out on and Barcelona signed Jules Koundé in the end well there's, still a, chance, Koundé was a, there's still a chance <laughs> there's still a chance yeah maybe by the weekend he'll be a Chelsea player but Jules Koundé was a player that Chelsea targeted for about 18 months and so the fact that Chelsea went from this summer suggests that maybe there has been some overlap in terms of the strategy and maybe some of the players that they are signing this summer have have as I say been carried over from a from the previous regime and a previous strategy I, I would like I'd like to know kind of who's dictating those signings yes that would be interesting now, I presume it's um interim assistant manager Todd Bowley Graham <laughs> yeah, he'll be he'll be down on the down on the touchline. I don't think Chelsea have played a home game yet, right? So they played their first game away at Everton. So maybe Todd Bowley's going to be down on the touchline for their for their first home game at Stamford Bridge this the, season. There was the guy who tried to buy Manchester United a while back, like when Rupert Murdoch was or was interested in them as well. And he's back in the news for saying he's going to buy the club again. But he's the I think he's the Michael, one who then Michael Knighton. Yeah, did he buy Carlisle? Yeah, he bought Carlisle, yeah. Because yeah, that's the, obvious, the, the obvious progression, yeah. You go from Manchester yeah. United to Carlisle United, yeah. And then sacked the manager and appointed himself as manager. Yeah, yeah is that where we're going with Todd Bowley? Is that what you're saying, Ryan? Uh, no, I said, I thought, did he do that after he wrote Jurassic Park? But then I think I slightly misheard the name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Crichton should buy a club, although I, I'm not sure if Michael Crichton is still with us. I believe he's deceased. Yeah. 
Well, you know, nice. uh, we, we've we've learned maybe he's frozen in amber, and we'll we'll find a way to clone him, and then Jurassic <laughs> Park will have a reboot. That's not what we need. Let's talk about Todd Bowley instead. Yeah, I would, well, I'll slightly bring this back on the rails. I think I've got to get one more question, Joe. It's looking at the future for Chelsea, maybe the immediate future, maybe the medium term future. What's the trajectory? Do you think? With uh, Bowley at the helm here, what what does Thomas Tuchel's team look like, or if it's even his team in the next few years? Uh, how transitional do you think this transition will be? I suppose, Joe. I think if anything, if, if we're looking at a trajectory, they are level right now. I mean, can we look at any of the moves that have been made and say that Chelsea is better off now than they were before, at least in the, in in the immediate term? I don't think so. This squad is still not able to compete with Manchester City or with Liverpool in any real way. That's that's my viewpoint on this, at least. So I think in that way, there's a massive gap that needs to be made up between Chelsea and between these other two clubs that have been leading the Premier League for the last few years now. And, and maybe Todd Bowley is the guy to lead Chelsea into doing that. And in, in that way, I think actually this change of regime, it's not something that Chelsea would have planned for. And I'm, I'm sure going through that period of March to May to June wasn't extremely fun for fans of this club with questions about whether or not they were even going to be able to do any business in the summer at all. What was going to happen with Roman Abramovich? Was he going to be able to sell? How was that process going to go and how long it was going to take? I'm sure that wasn't fun for the club, but this isn't the worst time for an influx of new ideas and new blood into Chelsea. I I don't know if this regime is going to turn out to be a good thing for Chelsea or for Chelsea fans, but that gap is very real and it's going to take something different and something more or at least time for Chelsea to make up that gap. And, and maybe Todd Bowley is the guy to lead them into doing that. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. I think they've made some good moves in this particular window. I question spending $72 million on a, on a left wing back when you already have multiple other options there. But even that, Mark Cucurella, I think, is a, a really good player. And I think he does make this team better if money isn't your chief concern. And so far, it doesn't seem like money is really Todd Bowley's chief concern. He's willing to spend. So I think in terms of today, the trajectory is pretty flat. Maybe that starts to trend up. Or maybe it's not totally flat. Maybe it's sloping ever so slightly upward. And it's going to need to continue to do so, I think, if Chelsea's going to actually make up ground on Liverpool and Manchester City. Taylor, any thoughts on that? When in 10 years' time, when Chelsea are an NFT playing in the metaverse, do you think they'll be a, a good owner? <laughs> Uh, I think if that's the case, I, w- I will say probably not the best ownership. But but for now, I would say it's going to be different. And I think you can see that just in the people that have already left and the change in operations. It really sounded to me from what I read uh, and, and, you know, consider the sources and everything. But it, it felt to me like Chelsea were a club that had not had a hands-on owner, that had an owner that basically signed the checks and increasingly was – more hesitant to sign just blank checks, but that like Bowley coming in, the ownership group coming in, and I, I think just shaking things up from a like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be in the office today. Like, oh, well, Roman hasn't been here in three years. Are you sure you want to be in the office? Like, I think it's going to be different on a day to day. The club is going to look different. They're going to have to make changes. And I think Chelsea fans, I, I would say, would probably be uh, not that they care what I have to say, but would be wise to sort of see, like, hear him out at the very least, and see where it's going, and not just fight immediately because it's not a billionaire trillionaire owner who's signing Andrei Shevchenko because he feels like it. I, I think it could be a positive, it could be a negative, and I think it requires fan engagement and fan involvement to see where it goes. Yeah, well, one more thing I would say about the business that Chelsea have done this summer is. I think this summer was always likely to be a transitional one for them, regardless of the ownership situation, just because 
most of Chelsea's defence left at the end of last season as, as free agents or certainly two players, two key players. Lukaku was, was a bust, so it seems like Tuchel wanted to move him on pretty quickly. So you're talking about the attack and the defence basically being rebuilt no matter what happens with the, with the ownership situation. That midfield is getting older and older as, as well, so that's going to need some attention at some point. So, so this Chelsea team was on the brink of a rebuild regardless of of that situation that has added a, an, another layer of complexity and intrigue and I'm, and I'm with Joe a lot of the players they've signed in fact pretty much every player they've signed is, is a good player who I think will improve their team and their squad some of the valuations are a bit off I mean they're going yeah. for Wesley Fofana now who's a very good player and who will improve Chelsea's team but I've read reports that Chelsea are going to pay eighty-five million pounds yeah. for him, which is eye-watering. And the thing that that will that will make things difficult, more difficult for Chelsea further down the line, because as Manchester United have found out, you pay big money for a player who isn't worth it. Okay, maybe you get the short-term fix, but when you go for other players, clubs go, "Well, you paid eighty-five million for player X. For player mm-hmm. Y, we want either the same or more." And then all of a sudden, you're inflating fees for for players who are. Hang, hang on, Graham. So, I think Chelsea are a bit far down that road already, aren't they? Uh, a little bit, yeah. They, with that Cucurella deal, I mean, when I read it was fifty million pounds, I tweeted it was a bit steep. Then I learned it was sixty-two million pounds. <laughs> so the fact, uh, yeah, that that seems slightly over the top. But maybe at the moment it's offset by I thought the the Sterling deal was decent. What was that, forty-five million pounds? I know he had a year left in his contract, mm-hmm. but for Raheem Sterling in the prime of his career, that's not bad. The Koulibaly deal wasn't bad either. But Cucurella and Fofana, if they get that deal over the line, uh, that maybe is erring on the side of panic by rather than anything adhering to to a clear strategy all right gents there we go that was that has been the big thing the first episode uh did you like it listener let us know and if there's any other topics you'd like us to cover uh get in touch on twitter or at totalsoccershow.com slash contact or via carry pigeon or however you'd like to uh, let us know but this is our sort of weekly opportunity to take a step back and dig into a big topic that we'd like to explore a little more so let us know what you think and uh if you'd like us to cover anything in particular but for now taylor rockwell did you have fun I did. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I found myself defending a billionaire that I never thought I would be that passionate about. But I, I feel better about Chelsea. I had them outside the top four, and now I think there's a chance they finish inside the top four, and I look forward to being wildly wrong at the end of the season. Graham, uh, did you enjoy that? I'll let you uh, just finish that mouthful of billionaire Kool-Aid before you answer. <laughs> I did enjoy I I personally enjoy how whenever Taylor delves into a subject, it feels like he always comes out of it feeling like a team is going to do better. Even if it's, it's similar Burnley. To our, yeah, even, it's similar to the season previews where I think every one of Taylor's teams are going to finish in the in the top six. So Chelsea fans look, look forward to a, a successful season and a su- successful yeah. era under Todd Bowley because Taylor Rockwell said so. We, we love Taylor because of his uh, uh, positivity, his uniform positivity, and that we always... <laughs> I have to almost call the lawyers when he says stuff as well. It's a, it's a great combo. It's a wonderful combo. Uh, British Le- libel laws are ridiculous. That's what I have to say about that. With your lords and your, your Lord Finkelstein journalists, you're not allowed to, to break news and talk about things. Get out of here. Sir Chip. Go. Is that what it was? Sir Chip? Sir and Chips. And, yeah. Oh, my. Don't hate the player. Hate the game, Tato. That's all I've got to say. I hate both. <laughs> Joe Lowry, thank you so much for uh, filling in from the, uh, from the Minnesota Wilds, wherever you are today. <laughs> you got it, Ryan. <laughs> and listen, thanks again for listening to The Big Thing. We'll be back with another one next week and plenty more on the feed. But for now, bye! Bye!